of the year, without this day, without what we're celebrating, there is no faith, there is no Christianity, there, it, it is the whole package, the whole thing, and why we're here every week, much less today. Well, he is risen. That was pretty good. He is risen. There we go. Well done. Uh, that's kind of our family tradition to make sure that we announce that to one another. Glad you were here today uh, and joining us. Uh, we're going to look a little bit at kind of the Good Friday and the Easter Sunday morning things. There's a, a word that uh, if, you, if you're like me and you were asleep through junior high English class, uh, you think, oh boy, what, uh, what are we getting into today? It's the word irony. So, you know, when something kind of has a little twist in the story, there's actually several of those throughout the life of Christ, but some specifically when it comes to uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We have other ironies, too, in our own life, right? Like, why do we drive on a parkway and park on a driveway? <laughs> That'll keep you up at night. Uh, so, so we have this clothing that says permanent press, Right? So why on our clothes irons is there a setting for permanent press? I mean, do you just press it once and then it's permanent? I don't know. It's kind of odd. Uh, why do we call them apartments when they're all stuck together? So now those are obviously little silly things that we do. But we're going to look at some serious ones. And they're good with Jesus' lives. But how specifically... They, how people related to him. So we'll be in John and then later on in Matthew. And one of them I just titled, Do You Know What You're Saying? Do you know what you're talking about? Do you even understand the words that are coming out of your mouth? So this is in John chapter 11. And uh, let me give you a little background, actually, before I read that for you. Jesus is, it was in a little town called Bethany, which was kind of a suburb of Jerusalem. So the religious capital of the day, this is where Jerusalem's where the temple is or was. Uh, and you can go there now and go to the Temple Mount. Uh, but it, he did a major, major miracle. There was a guy named Lazarus. He was in the tomb dead for three days, and Jesus brought him out of the tomb. And so all these other things, you know, he's up in Galilee. It was kind of like being in, I don't know, Cleveland or something, you know, just out there where no one really thinks about it. But uh, this, was, this was now where everyone was. And here, everyone, here's Lazarus. You can't deny it. He had, you know, he's all wrapped up in his grave clothes earlier and so forth. Uh, but people were going, this guy, Jesus, is the real deal. But he still had some enemies. He had people opposed to them. So John chapter 11, verse 45, says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary, that's, that was Lazarus' sister, had seen what he did, believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Pharisees were the religious leaders at the time. Uh, and so they're getting a little threatened. His fame after bringing Lazarus from the dead, his fame is going to skyrocket. People are coming. They're coming to, to see this guy, Jesus. But the religious leaders didn't like him. And quite frankly, he told the truth about them. You guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You're whitewashed tombs. You're, I mean, just was, they were not fans for the most part. There's a few exceptions, but they didn't like Jesus. He, I guess we would say it a little more contemporary, he spoke to their power. 
says, you guys, you don't understand a thing about the word of God, about the God himself. So they never really liked him. And so they finally say, all right, staff meeting here. We all got to get together and, and talk about this guy. They hold a council in verse 47. So the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So again, a little bit of background. Historically, Roman Empire, the Caesars, all those you know, Roman roads and everything, that was the era that Jesus walked on the earth. And they, they for, for the most part, when Rome came and took over an area, and at this time they ruled over what we now call Israel, Palestine, uh, they ruled over that area as part of their empire. It was actually almost dead center of their empire uh, at the time. And on one hand, they were, they were kind of brutal and they taxed people. But on the other hand, once things kind of settled in, and they were occupying an area, they pretty much let people do their thing. Unless you started causing trouble. And that's what these guys were worried about this, is saying, boy, this Jesus guy is going to upset all our political and ge- geography or geopolitical apple carts and mess things up. And the Romans are going to come and wipe us out. By the way, it's interesting. Later, that actually happened at AD 70, but not because of Jesus. Uh, they actually came and finally dealt with the Israelites because they were always kind of a bit of a problem. So they spoke against, Jesus spoke against their abuses and, and hypocrisy. And as I said, they were not fans of Jesus himself. But they didn't even believe their own eyes. They saw the feeding of the 5,000. They saw him heal blind people. They even interviewed the people that, they, that he had healed. Uh, people born lame, couldn't walk, uh, couldn't speak. Lepers, le- people with leprosy. And now all of a sudden he's raising people from the dead. So what's the worst? Many, they were afraid, really, more than Rome, I think, that people would follow them. So again, let's call in a staff meeting. Emergency staff meeting, let's get together. Well, here's what they decide. Verse 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Hmm. This is the top dog. This is the high priest. And when he says, you know nothing at all, it's, it's kind of a polite way to say, you're just a bunch of flaming idiots. He was putting them down, so to speak. Why are you so freaked out over this? It's better that we get rid of this one guy than us to lose our whole nation. He needs to die. That's the bottom line of everything. Rome ruled and left them alone for most part, but boy, if we let this Jesus guy take over and start doing things and cause this big revival and shaking things up... It's better for everyone if we just get rid of this Jesus. There was so much more going on that he, this guy Caiaphas, didn't even know. 
He had no idea his statement. It's, it's better that one man should die for the people. There's a much deeper truth. He was clueless. He's, I mean, he's, he's chewing these guys out. You're a bunch of idiots. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. John, the author of the gospel, wrote this, the real meaning, verse 51. He, that is Caiaphas, did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they meant they plans to put him to death. So this guy, as the high priest, he was the appointed leader. God spoke through him. I know when we hear prophecy, prophesying or prophecy, we think of future predictions. But really, in the Old Testament, the, the main job of a prophet is just speak for God. God would tell the prophet, do these three things, and the prophet would then tell the people, do these three things. So they're not necessarily predictions. It's just communication. And God could speak to whoever he wants. This guy Caiaphas was just a power-hungry, money-grubbing guy. But it doesn't matter to God. God could speak through anybody. Read the book of Jonah. I think Jonah's a jerk through the whole book. And he preaches the shortest message on record, and an entire city repents. God also spoke through a donkey once. So he could speak through Caiaphas. And he's clueless of the significance. John tells us, what did he really say? Jesus did not die for political or cultural reasons. That's what they thought. Those were just surface stuff. He died for people. He died for his own nation, Israel. Jesus was Jewish. He was an Israelite. But you know who else he died for? You. Everyone else. To gather all the children of God. He died for you. You know, in reality, when we go through life, people let us down. Even, even the best people. I mean, maybe, you know, there's a sharp word. Maybe, maybe some, some here represented, you've been, you've been hurt badly by some other person or people. And maybe feeling a little jaded. Maybe feeling, you know, I just want to just kind of hide by myself. But people hurt and abuse and disappoint us all the time. But we need to understand something. When it says that uh, Jesus would die for you, he doesn't disappoint. So why everyone else, everyone else in the world is kind of after, you're just in for it them, for themselves. My friends, Jesus died for you. In complete contrast you and I have sin. We all, we, we've all done, thought things that are contrary to God, contrary to his law. Everyone's failed. And that's why Jesus died for you. 
First John, the same author that wrote that gospel that we read for, he wrote another letter in chapter 2, verse 2, says he is the, this is a big word, propitiation. And it's another word of saying payment. He is the payment for our sins, not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we have sin, and we can't pay the fine. It's too great. It's too massive. You could spend the rest of your life and all of eternity trying to pay for it. You can't. And Jesus and God said, we'll take care of it for you. So why other people disappoint and fail us, why we even fail ourselves, Jesus died for you. You got that? He died for you. Well, let's look at the next story, the next irony, because it's about his payment. This is in the book of Matthew. And again, let me give you a little bit of background before I read this passage, and, and it's actually going to cover the next passage as well. But this is, this is the time, this is the season of, of Good Friday. Jesus has been arrested. And, you know, there's some going back and forth. He's seen Pilate. He's before the council, all these different things. But he, these are Good Friday events. Pilate, Pilate's a Roman. He's, in he's the Roman official in charge of all of Palestine at that time. He's living in Jerusalem. That's the capital. And they're bringing him to Pilate. And he's actually, I think, I think Pilate gets a bit of a bum rap, but he's actually quite shrewd because he figures out Jesus didn't do anything wrong. He, he, the only reason why Jesus is there is because these religious leaders hated his gut so much. That was it. And they want him done away with. So let's jump into the story. Oh, and by the way, Pilate is a blot, is his job is to largely to keep the peace. All right? So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. They're crying, crucify him, crucify him. They want the death penalty for Jesus. And all the people answered, Listen to this. His blood be on us and on our children. Then he, Pilate, released from them Barabbas, uh, having scourged Jesus and delivered him over to be crucified. They're calling for his death. But there's also a riot starting. Remember, his job is to keep the peace. In the end, it's like, I don't know who this guy is, this Jesus guy. But it's not worth a riot fine. You want him dead? Fine. You take care of it. He literally takes it's a wash basin, washes his hands and says, I'm innocent of his blood. You do what you want to do though. And that avoids the riot, but then they take Jesus and their answer is the irony. Let his blood be on us and on our children. Now, what did they think they meant? Well, they thought for his, this man's death, we'll be responsible, all of us. And even we'll throw our kids into that. But here's, here's the thing. It's what they really needed. They needed Jesus' blood for the payment of their sins. You see it? Wow. 
They had no idea what they were really saying. Because as we said last, just a few moments ago, we all have sin. We've all sinned. And it's got to get payment. The only payment acceptable to God is Jesus' sacrifice, his blood. Back in the Old Testament, they had something. In fact, they were celebrating the Passover. They had to apply the blood to their doorpost. And this was when Moses was in Egypt and the death was going to come and take the, the firstborn. But God said, just put the blood over your doorpost and death will pass over you. That's where the name come, a Passover comes from. So in the same way, someone who wants the payment for their sin, it's, a, it's an act of faith. It's an act of obedience. And we say, I'm going to apply the blood of Jesus to my life. I'm going to believe that that will save me from death. These people have no idea. And then when they think, and especially those of us who are parents, we think, and, and we've made that commitment, we've made that act of faith, it's like, oh, yes, may my children believe too. May his blood be on our heads and on our children. It sounds a harsh payment, but, and it is. But God did not leave it for us alone. Jesus came to earth. This was his job. This was his life mission and vision to die for us. And so, while he also doesn't let us down, I want you to know that he can cleanse you from your sin. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've thought. That blood of Christ is so amazing and so great, you can be cleansed. You could have a second, third, 27th chance and beyond because of him. He gives new life. He restores he takes that payment that you and I both had to pay and he paid it. He can cleanse you from all that you've done wrong. Guilt, shame, and death. You're free from those and you could be redeemed. Yes, we need his blood on us and on our kids. Well, how do you get that? Well, there's an expression whenever a king comes up is to say, long live the king. And so Jesus is going to be crowned here. After, after this event, after Pilate scourges Jesus, which essentially is whipping him to the edge of death, he's a mess. He's covered with blood and spit. And now he's going to go essentially into a holding cell until they're ready to crucify him, to put him on the cross. Matthew 27, verse 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put on a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, hail, king of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And, they, and when they mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put on his own clothes and led him out, led him away to be crucified him. They crowned him. 
They crowned him as king. He's surrounded not by friends, not even by his fellow countrymen in Israel. He's surrounded by Roman soldiers. No concept of God. We use the term godless. They were godless. They didn't grow up here in the Bible. They didn't grow up seeing people hold up John 3.16 signs at football games. They had no idea of a God of the universe. Just a bunch of idols. They generally, these soldiers, generally despised all the Israelites. Yeah, they were very anti-Semitic. So here's this guy, their king, right? Stripping him down, putting on this robe. Again, you can just see it. You can see this model, the scepter, so to speak, in his hand. And then they dress him up and weave a crown of thorns for him. That's what they did. And call them a king. Where's the irony? He really is a king. He really is. He's king of the Jews. He's king of the whole world. But he wears another crown now. For a believer, so for someone who's come to Jesus Christ and they see this human, barely recognizable as human. For the Roman soldiers, he was an object of derision, of mocking. But for those who know and love Jesus, he was never more regal. Never more. As he's sitting there taking it. This was the same guy that said earlier, you know, I could call a legion of angels down And one angel would have been more than enough. But he took it. He did it for you. He did it for me. Jesus was a joke, or is a joke, to some. But for those who believe, he's more, never been more regal. The question for us this morning is, which crown would you put on Jesus? Which one? We're going to play a song for you now. It's by Michael Card. It's been out for a while. Uh, I think 1990s it was originally done. It's going to start, he's going to start singing about the crown of thorns. It's using a minor key. And then later on in the song, it's going to transition to a major key and talk about the other crown, the crown of royalty. So let's, uh, get, please read the lyrics as you see them and listen to the song. When he's crowned, he is crowned. Read Revelation chapter 1. He is the king of, of all glory. And any other crowns, people are going to be throwing them down at their feet because that's what he deserves. That's what he deserves for many reasons, but also because he wore the crown of thorns for you and for me. We have two crowns up here. Crown of thorns, and crown of glory, crown where he reigns. Which one do you crown him with? Which one do you crown him with? There's no middle ground. Jesus is a guy you can't ignore. You have to respond to him one way or another. It's why there are just two crowns. 
Maybe, maybe, maybe you're saying, you know, crown of thorns. I don't believe who he is, who he says he is. I don't believe what he did. Or maybe, maybe you think, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. That would be so mean. Maybe later. There's no later. You've either crowned him with a crown of thorns, which means you don't really believe who he is and what he did. Or you crown him with a crown of glory. There's no middle ground. It's one or the other. Maybe, maybe if you were like me, before I, before I committed my life to him, I couldn't stand the guy. I despised him. A crown of thorns. You can't, you just can't even logically think, if I, yeah, he was a great man, yeah, he did all those miracles, and even somebody says, yeah, I, I, I think he really did come out of that grave. Then how could you crown him still with thorns? How could you ignore him? I don't get that. I don't understand that at all. But many people do. They crown him with thorns. Or you could say, no, I do have sin. I do understand that he paid for that sin with his blood. And I'm going to crown him king. We all love to be kings ourselves. Be in charge of your own life. Make your own decisions. Call your own shots. But the believer in Christ says, surrenders and says, I give you, Lord Jesus, the crown. You wear it for my life. And I don't know what the implications of that for you, but the royal king says, he's your God. He's your king. Believers, sometimes we, just a little side note here, we, we crowned him king but then sometimes we kind of go away from that and ignore the king and ignore his precepts. And uh, you can, Paul writes in Romans, he says, those who have, um, who have that sacrifice of sin shouldn't live in it anymore. And we kind of listen to that, that old master. But you too can come back. You can come back. The beautiful parable Jesus told of the, of the prodigal son where the, 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 the father gets up and runs to his repentant son. You could do that as well. If he's your God and king, then make sure he's wearing that crown. If you've never thought that before, if you never, I've never really thought about him and his, and his, his role in my life and wow, he died for me. He paid for my sins. What's it take? How do you get in on that? Well, it's a simple act of faith. You just believe. So I'm going to quit trusting myself. You could be the best person ever, but you're not good and going to be good enough. Can't be good enough. It's not by goodness. It's not by works. It's not by doing religious things. It's not by giving a bunch of money. It's not by taking a vow of poverty. It's not necessarily any of those things are bad. It's just that don't get you very far. You just say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. If you're in that place now and you're thinking, okay, what do I say? What do I do? You bow your heads with me now and we'll, 
I'll, I'll pray along with your short prayer. And if this is your heart, if this is your mind, then, then pray quietly with me. You ready? Jesus, you have died for me. I need your sacrifice. I need your blood to be on my head. I'm taking your gift. And I gladly accept the new life you give me. I will follow you as my God and my King. I crown you, Lord Jesus, a King of my life. And you're more than worthy. You're more than worth it. And thank you for new life. Thank you for saving me from my very own death. In your name, in the name of Christ, amen. You know, it's possible even for people that have been going to church their whole life never to make that commitment. Maybe, maybe that's you today. Maybe this is the first time you ever heard that. Maybe this is the first time it's made sense. I'd like to encourage you in, in front of all the chairs right now, there's a long card. It's kind of gold colored. And if you're a guest here today, please just let us know you're here. It's a spot for your name and your address. And we just like to get to know you a little bit. But there's also some check boxes there. Maybe you still have questions. Maybe, maybe you prayed that prayer today and you think, I need to talk to someone. And I want to encourage you, maybe someone brought you or invited you here today to talk to that person as well. Uh, or bring it to me. And then you can kind of tear that card off. You can hand it to me back behind that phony fig tree thing. Uh, is, uh, is a wood box. It's for our offering, and you could put it in that box there as well. But we want to we share you. We want to help you on that journey uh, to, um, to get to know your new king, the one that you've crowned with glory. You still have questions. You still have things. And you, want, you just want to look more. In the back on our counter where the, the coffee and everything is, there's a little booklet. It says life, big letters on the front. And encourage you to grab one of those if, if things uh, haven't been really clear yet today. Um, but if, if you've made that commitment as a, as a new believer today, we're excited for you. And we want to come along and help you and, and help you see what that journey is all about. And you're not going to regret it. For those, maybe again, those believers who said, you know what? Yeah, I made that commitment before but I've let some of the old stuff creep back in. And if you need help with that, if you want to come talk to someone, then again, talk to someone. Talk to another believer that's here, someone you trust. Or come see me or one of our other leaders here or Tom's one of our elders as well. You, can, you, you don't have to go back to that old stuff. Let me pray for us. and Actually, let me kind of transition here to communion and then I'll pray. But... Uh, we, we remember the Lord's table once a month. It happens to fall on today, Easter Sunday, which is pretty appropriate. There's two elements. There's the juice and there's the bread. They represent a couple things about Jesus. The juice represents his blood. And when he was about to die and about to go to the cross, he did this for his disciples. He said, do this to remember me. Remember my sacrifice for you. So the juice represents 
Jesus' blood, his signature, if you will, on his promise to you. That's that blood we talked about a little bit earlier. The other one is the bread, and uh, it represents his broken body. Now, if I could be as clear as, if you've been tuned out, tune back in. If you're a believer, you're welcome to join us. You don't have to be part of our church. You're welcome to join us. If, you've, if you're a follower of Christ. If you're not, as plainly as I could say, just stay seated. It's okay. If you, if you became a believer even this morning, then come on up and participate for the first time. But it is something that believers are to do. And for believers, take some time, take an opportunity to examine yourselves, as Paul tells us. And when you're ready, come on up. Come up as a family, come up as individuals, and remember Jesus' blood and Jesus' body for us. Lord Jesus, I, boy, what a, fortunately I was a young man, but a lot of wasted years before that when you brought me to you. I didn't, I wasn't even trying to be good. In fact, Paul writes, we were enemies of God, and yet you loved us. And Lord, it amazes me, Jesus, the very men who were beating you, spitting on you, the ones who nailed, the, the, nailed you to the cross through your hands and through your feet, you loved them. You were dying for them. And even those religious leaders who, uh, who really pulled all the strings to get you crucified, you love them too. And so, Lord, we rejoice in, the, in your love and your sacrifice for us. And we remember it. We remember it here with a, this little time we're going to spend. And thank you for your promise. And that empty tomb, <laughs> that shows that everything you said was true. You are alive again. We have historical evidence that you indeed came out of the tomb. And so we uh, rejoice in that. We thank you for that. And God, I pray that we would uh, take anyone to take from putting that crown of thorns on you, to mock you, to not really believe you, but Lord, to put the crown of glory that really you already wear. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please come up when you're ready. Uh, last couple songs with our so- worship and song. Uh, ladies, there's a uh, little bit, kind of a mini retreat. It is just one night. It's Friday, February 28th. It'll be at our Clarion campus. So go down 68 towards Clarion, just past the big cow, and you'll see like a sign. You know what I mean, right? Okay. Uh, you'll see, you know, our Zion tree there. You turn right into there. It's called The Kitchen Table, uh, and it's uh, Friday, April 28th, 6.30 to 8.30, and uh, ask you to bring your favorite dessert to share, and there'll be coffee and tea there. If you want to invite some people and give them some, hand them something, there are cards back there, or maybe you just want a reminder card yourself. So that is the, yeah, the last Friday of the month. The other thing I mentioned last week is uh, Family Fun Day, so if you got uh, some kids and you want to join us, kids and parents, grandparents. Uh, the, it's a bike ride and don't have all the details, but just mark it down. It'll be after church on April 30th. Um, let's see, what else? Oh, um, 
Some of you are familiar with uh, a guy named Sam Johnson. He is uh, a professional Christian counselor, and he works out of same campus, as I said. Uh, a guy I really appreciate, very wise, uh, and uh, again knows his stuff, comes from a biblical point of view. He, um, he and his family are going on a mission trip. They're going to Bolivia. And so I brought the letter, but I made copies of it in case any of you wanted to support Sam and his family uh, on their trip to Bolivia. The copies are back there, and I just kind of played around with the copier so you can get the return address and everything. Uh, and uh, if you're interested in his services, we also have some of his flyers up on that kind of wood thing stuck on the wall there uh, called 4C Counseling. So um, wanted to make sure you knew about that. A couple other things that we're doing on a regular basis uh, for the guys at 8 a.m. on Sundays, call it Review Preview. We review the previous Sunday's message, and then we preview that Sunday. So next week, we're starting a new series called The Names of God. And so get ready to learn a little Hebrew. Uh, not a lot, and there won't be a test. Okay, so, uh, but it's really, it's really a series about God. He names himself throughout the Old Testament, and it describes him and what he's like. And so it's, it, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to that. But anyway, review, preview, we meet at eight and say, okay, well, how does that, how did that message, how did these ideas impact our lives? Uh, and so that again is 8 a.m. Sunday mornings, uh, we either meet right here or in the office. Um, the other one is life groups uh, that, are, that are going on uh, throughout the year. We have a Tuesday night group, and we've been working through Romans. We're in chapter 6. So all you got to do is read first six verse, chapters of Romans. They're very light, right? But, <laughs> but at least you'll get caught up. Uh, or even just jump in if you don't, don't want to do that. But we're in the middle of chapter 6 right now in the book of Romans, 630 here, uh, and we kind of discuss our ways through it. Ladies Life Group meets on Wednesdays here, 1030. 10. I always get it mixed up. Sorry. Uh, and so they will, they, they will be here on Wednesdays at 10. Uh, and I think that's all the announcements I have. Let's remember, let's praise him uh, for the, his act of sacrifice on Good Friday and then on Easter Sunday. Boy, can you just imagine how it was for those disciples hiding in fear, locking themselves away, and then all of a sudden, I mean, you talk about a plot twist. Here he's alive. He really defeated death. Let's praise him.